Howdy, folks. Welcome to A Green Way Forward, the weekly program where we look at issues and events specifically through the lens of the Green Party's core principles of peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. And as always, with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, we know that the revolution may not be televised, but it can be brought to you over the sources of non-corporately filtered news, information, and analysis like this program, A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, and I want to remind you that if you're watching live, you can ask questions and comments, and executive producer Michael O'Neill will harvest those questions and comments, and we'll get to as many of them as possible. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, please do remember to share this with family and friends, and let's keep building the audience. Remember that we are getting larger stronger and better organized every day. And it's not because we're covered by the corporate media. In fact, the corporate media does everything that they possibly can to belittle, ignore, or otherwise undermine the Green Party movement. And yet, by every objective standard, we're growing. More candidates are running for office as Greens. More people are registering into the Green Party or leaving both the Democratic and Republican Party and joining the independent or declined estate uh, party. Uh, more people are taking a look at our core principles and values. And on virtually every issue that you look at, you see that the Green Party's platform was prescient. You see that we were ahead of the curve, whether being advocates for single-payer health care from our very beginning uh, to calling for significant, thoughtful gun control uh, uh, from our very inception, uh, whether it was our call to dismantle the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, uh, whether it was our call to democratize the monetary system of the United States of America, our call to transition away from coal, oil, and nuclear power to sustainable energy, really and truly, y'all, from every possible perspective, uh, the Green Party has been correct and right, and we are still correct and right, and all that we need is you, that's right, you, the viewer listener, to join us to build the powerful movement we so desperately need and so richly deserve. So as we wait to see uh, any comments or questions that come in, I want to jump right in uh, to the March for Our Lives that just happened, uh, March 24th, just a few days ago. You know, I have to start by acknowledging what a powerful experience it was uh, to see the visual images from Washington, D.C. and uh, over a thousand different locations across the world, including here in Humboldt County. Each and every one of the events, as far as I could tell, uh, were led by young people, uh, sometimes teenagers. I don't think anybody over 20 uh, were the various keynote speakers. And I really want to lift that up to honor it, to acknowledge how powerful that is, uh, and what a wonderful thing it is. And, not but, and to offer a constructive critique uh, on just what exactly that March for Our Lives was all about. Because as important as gun control is, and again, it is an important issue, uh, the reality is it was a very narrowly tailored experience. It seems to be designed uh, to bring pressure on the part of elected officials and candidates for office, specifically to bring uh, attention 
to the NRA, which of course is something important to do, but specifically it seems like it's leading people into the Democratic Party. Uh, and that's where I'll offer the critique. I do want to start by pointing out that the Green Party has a very strong position uh, on gun violence and gun control. Uh, and we start, if you look at the Green Party's platform, by acknowledging uh, that the police use of guns uh, is by far much more violent uh, in terms of just their statistics. And we call for the restriction of police use of guns and all forms of control weapons, including restraining weapons and methods like pepper spray, taser guns, stun belts, chokeholds, etc. So again, just to, to talk about the difference perspective and the different lens, the Green Party actually starts by calling for an end to gun violence and recognizing uh, that the that the solution is to change the culture. And bluntly, uh, if we were really going to be serious about uh, ending gun violence, uh, we have to include restriction of the police. Uh, I also want to acknowledge that Rico has already written in to say that the entire event was about marching for the political lives of elected Democrats. You know, I wish I could disagree with you, Rico, but I, it was the same uh, impression that I got. Uh, it's also worth pointing out uh, that the entire frame really comes directly out of Democratic National Committee talking points. The March for Our Lives started with a call that says, we support the right of Americans to keep and bear arms as set forth in the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. I mean, that is the literally beginning of the demand. Uh, and then they call call for a ban on assault weapons. Uh, they call to prohibit high-capacity magazines. They call to end the background check. Uh, and they call uh, for uh, the abolition of bump stock uh, guns. Uh, now, again, these are all, you know, fine policy positions. But if the if we were really about ending gun violence, it would have to go much deeper. And I appreciate what Pete writes in to say, we need to end war culture. And I completely agree with that. And Pete, that's kind of uh, the point that I'm trying to make here, uh, is that not only is it DNC, Democratic Party approved talking points, uh, it is also, in fact, getting support from Republicans. Uh, there was a, a phenomenal uh, a website uh, that actually showed uh, a big Republican donor creating a super PAC specifically uh, to advance this issue. Now, look, I welcome the fact that uh, Republicans uh, want sensible gun control. I also want sensible gun control. And by the way, I own a shot, uh, actually two shotguns myself. One I got as a 12-year-old boy. Uh, the other I inherited from my papa, that's tech, East Texas for grandfather, uh, when he passed away. Uh, that, that gun reminds me of him. I went uh, deer hunting with him as a young boy. And uh, that, that particular gun has uh, great sentimental value for me, as is that 12-gauge single-shot uh, goose uh, gun, shotgun that my daddy got for me when I turned 12 years old. So I'm not a, a you know, end all guns, I believe. And, and the, the phraseology of sensible gun control is good. But when you consider that a GoFundMe page uh, raised $3.5 million just for this March, you consider uh, that uh, the, the, the effort to actually expand 
to talk about empire, to talk about gun violence outside uh, of the traditional talking points uh, was limited. And I think that the, the constructive critique that I offer is unless and until we build a movement that is politically and financially independent of the leadership of the Democratic Party and the Democratic National Committee, we will never get the kind of systemic transformational change that we really desperately need. And never mind the fact uh, that the kind of issues that the Green Party represents are not actually being talked about outside of uh, the, the gun violence itself. Again, uh, the the limiting nature uh, of uh, this march was something that I found to be uh, just, well, sad. Uh, and it was beautiful and wonderful to watch uh, young people speaking eloquently and passionately uh, uh, and sensibly. Uh, and I do want to lift that up. And at the same time, I do want to offer the constructive critique that we've got to go further, we've got to go deeper, and we've got to look at the systemic nature uh, of what the problems are and what the solutions will be. Otherwise, we'll be limited to uh, the continued trap of, oh, we elected somebody with a D next to their name. Now uh, we've saved the day. Uh, it is my hope that the, this new uh, movement uh, being led by young people uh, and Black Lives Matter and Occupy Wall Street and its remnants and the Standing Rock explosion. I mean, we have so many examples of uh, movement explosions or, or, or moments uh, that, that present themselves, but whether they become sustained movements is still an open question. And deeper still, the question of whether they become sustained movements independent of the Democratic Party remains to be seen. Because I believe that to make systemic transformational change, we need mass movements in the streets, in the pool halls, in the bowling alleys, in the barber shops, uh, everywhere people live, work, and play. And we need an electoral arm to represent that movement that is independent of the establishment. And the reality is the Democratic Party is part of the establishment. They are part of the two-party system. They're called established parties because they exist to promote and protect the interest of uh, the existing established order. And I don't say that with uh, glee. I don't say that with happiness. But I see it with a level of clarity to understand that unless and until we are willing to build independent political power that addresses head on the violent culture of imperialism, the econ violent economic system of capitalism, the patriarchal society in which we're living in, if we're not willing to actually confront those things and recognize that Wall Street America has bought and paid for the leadership of both the Democratic and Republican Party, we will be perpetually trapped in the lesser evilism that continues to get worse and worse. I'm calling for a genuine new effort that is calling for political and financial independence. And if you like what you're hearing on this program, I want to encourage you to go to the website, A Green Way Forward, and sign up so that you can get 
information about what our podcasts are, get on our email list to make sure that we continue to build an audience that is independent of the corporate control platforms of Facebook, uh, of Twitter, of Instagram. The reality is we use all of those tools and those platforms are important. At the end of the day, though, we really have to build our own institutions. That means our own media institutions and our own platforms. We'll continue to create this as a live Facebook live stream as long as Mark Zuckerberg and the billionaires allow us to do so. But we have no illusions of the fact that our audience is absolutely tied to the mystery algorithm uh, that prevents us. We know we get somewhere between three to 5,000 viewers. Sometimes it bumps up to 10,000 uh, viewers. We don't know why. Oh, we'll continue on a green way forward uh, to present podcasts. Uh, and we know that we're already on iTunes. Uh, I think that we're on several other platforms. We'll continue to build those platforms out. So again, I encourage you, share this live stream, if you're listening to it as a live stream right now onto your own page to let, uh, let's build out our, our, outre our, our reach and our views. Let's also encourage you to share this podcast uh, in all the different ways that you possibly can. And please go to agreenwayforward.org and sign up so we can be in touch with you. You know, this also gives me an opportunity uh, to shift to the next topic that I really do want to talk about. Uh, and that really is that uh, the federal government is launching a probe discovering what they are calling horrifying reach of fa Facebook's data mining. Now, just as I uh, did to set a broader context, I will start by saying it is absolutely uh, the case that what we are learning about the data mining that Cambridge Analytica, uh, Steve Bannon, and, and, and right-wingers uh, used it is an absolute horrifying thing. There's no doubt about it. Facebook had the phone number uh, uh, and email address of, uh, of almost everybody that they could get their hands on, uh, and that is a horrifying thing. But it pales in comparison to the billions of dollars that are now, literally billions, plural, that are being spent uh, in the post-Citizens United versus FEC world where corporations can spend unlimited amounts of money on independent expenditures, where the billionaire class uh, can literally uh, keep individual candidates afloat, like uh, Donald Trump, by the way, uh, keep them afloat just individually alone just by uh, pouring hundreds of millions of dollars of their own money into candidates' elections. I mean, if we really want to talk about grotesque, we have to acknowledge the fact that our elections have become auctions. And this so-called campaign finance system uh, is, and I say so-called because it's not even fair to call them campaign contributions. I mean, they are most charitably called investments for which the donor gets a very healthy return on the investment. All you have to do is go to Open Secrets or any of the other sources uh, or look at any of the social science data uh, that shows that there are direct ties uh, to people uh, who, who are making significant campaign contributions uh, and their ability to literally buy legislation. 
So I don't even call them campaign contributions. I call them campaign investments. But let's actually just cut the crap and call it what it really is. It's legalized bribery. We have literally allowed through the Supreme Court of the United States of America to legalize the bribing of elected officials. Billions of dollars are being spent in our elections. Uh, they are being spent not only on direct uh, uh, calls to action, but they're also being spent on Hillary Clinton's correct the record uh, troll device that that spent literally hundreds, if not thousands of times more than the Russian trolls uh, ever spent. Uh, and it wasn't just Hillary Clinton, but Donald Trump did it. Uh, and I do have to give a hat tip. Uh, Bernie Sanders, as far as I can tell, his campaign really seemed to actually be authentic. It actually did seem to be uh, driven by inspired people, mostly millennials and young people, uh, who actually were responding to the level of authenticity and the call for democratic socialism. I do think that it's shameful and sad uh, that Bill, that pardon me, <laughs> that uh, Bernie Sanders uh, ended up endorsing uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, and, but that's a topic for a different conversation. My point being this, friends, that the the level of corporate control. Uh, of the narrative. The fact that six major corporations now control over 90% of the news information and analysis that, that all of us read uh, is bordering on a, a type of George Orwellian 1984 uh, animal farm type craziness. But it's actually even worse than that because it's so subtle. It's so kind, it's kinder, gentler fascism that most of us don't even actually see it. Um, you know, the, I also know that Michael O'Neill, executive producer and Green Party organizer, uh, has a point about that I've heard him making about liberals looking for a magic bullet to explain Trump's victory. So, Michael, I'm going to give you the opportunity to join the conversation now and share what you've shared with me because I don't think I'll do it justice. So, let's welcome executive producer of A Green Way Forward, Michael O'Neill, into this conversation. Hey, David. Yeah, what's driving me crazy is that whether it's Russia or Cambridge Analytica or whatever, I hear liberals and liberal pundits and Democrats in general keep trying to find some explanation for Donald Trump's victory because they just cannot bring themselves to see or to admit either to themselves or to the outside world that one, uh, Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate who ran a, a incompetent campaign and had the exact opposite message from what people were, you know, kind of craving to hear this year, uh, that this was an anti well, the, uh, this year. It feels like it's still happening. It feels like the election never <laughs> ended. That's the problem. And, but in 2016, but that, but then, then the deeper problem is that our duopoly capitalist corporate political system has has infected our political culture with such a deep and long-term rot that someone like Donald Trump could come along like an opportunistic infection that uh, you know sets up shop in a compromised immune system 
and found purchase in our body politic because people had been become so desperate that they were willing to ride any populist wave no matter how toxic it was and like that's the problem but they keep searching for putin or russia or cambridge analytica when the problem has been in front of us and all around us the entire time you know michael i really appreciate uh both of your points, and I want to say them again and invite listeners and, and viewers uh, to share your thoughts if you're w- uh, watching live uh, in the comment section. But point number one is to actually identify the fact that the neoliberal agenda that Hillary Clinton and the entire Democratic National Committee represents is not only unappealing, but it's being categorically rejected by the overwhelming number uh, of Americans, not just liberals and progressives, but uh, conservatives, moderates alike, are basically rejecting the business-as-usual neoliberalism that Hillary Clinton represents, and that Hillary Clinton was a really terrible candidate who could not inspire people. Uh, so she was completely the wrong candidate at the wrong time. I also think it's important. So that's number one, and I think I really appreciate that you actually said that and are. Let's do our best on a green way forward to at least force people lovingly but firmly to acknowledge that reality. You know, it's worth pointing out that in the last election, as important as it was and as much hype as there was, that half of the American people still did not bother to vote. That's one thing. Half of the eligible voters did not vote. That doesn't even take into account the horrible racist uh, policy of felony disenfranchisement that actually uh, purges uh, so many uh, people of color and poor people from the rolls because of our uh, racist and classist criminal justice system. Half of those who were eligible to vote did not vote. Here's the second point. Polling data, exit polling data shows that for the first time in the history of modern elections since exit polls have been taken, something remarkably happened. Something remarkable happened. More people were voting against the opposition major party's candidate than they were voting for their own candidate. In other words, more people pulled a lever for Hillary Clinton not because they liked Hillary Clinton, but because they were afraid of and hated Donald Trump and admitted that in an exit poll, that they were voting against Donald Trump. Half of, over half of Hillary's votes came from such a person. Oh, but wait, there's more. More than half of the people who pulled the lever for Donald Trump were not actually voting for Donald Trump. They were voting against Hillary Clinton and what they represented. So the 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 thing that to remember is that this is the first time that it's ever happened. Holly writes in to say perhaps voting itself is a flawed process that not produce a government that represents the people. Listen, Holly, I actually completely agree with you. I participate in elections as a tactic, not the end all and be all. I do think, though, that there is a place for voting, and that's the reason that it's so critically important that we use the tool authentically for candidates like Jill Stein, uh, like uh, Jeremy Corbyn, 
uh, you know, when we have actual candidates to vote for. But let's also make the systemic call to democratize elections. Let's call for complete funding of our elections to get all special interest money and uh, rich people's money completely out of elections. Number two, Let's end the felony disenfranchisement system that is actually preventing others to vote. Number three, let's demand ranked choice voting and proportional representation as voting systems so that we can actually vote for candidates that we actually want instead of against the candidates that we actually hate. Let's call for an end to the draconian ballot access systems that are keeping independents and Green Party and Libertarian parties from even being able to be on the ballot. Let's call uh, for inclusion of independents and third parties, uh, Green Party and Libertarian parties, into the various uh, candidate debates that are happening, not just for president, but all across the country. So, Holly, I don't think, I do believe that voting in this system is profoundly flawed. And I also will say, my dreams, my hopes and aspirations will not fit onto a ballot. Uh, so I say vote, but go beyond voting. It's why I engage in direct action. It's why I do educational forums. It's why I create alternatives like the work I do at Cooperation Humble. Uh, and uh, so I appreciate, Holly, your point about uh, voting itself being flawed but we have to use all the tools that are available to us, including the flawed ones. And let's call to restructure society, including restructuring how elections exist. Michael O'Neill, I know you were telling me that the Green Party faced disenfranchisement in Chicago last week. I'll confess I'm not up to date on that. So I'm wondering if I can invite you back on uh, to the program to share what you know about what happened in Chicago during their primary. Well, I was tracking some Facebook posts from a, a member of the National Committee who represents Illinois. And, uh, and yeah, basically, they, they have a primary system there where in, in Cook County, which is where Chicago is located, you show up to the polling place and you say what what ballot that you want to vote on. You ask for a ballot for your party, which is, I imagine, is typical, right, for a lot of primaries. And and basically, Cook County, even though the Green Party in Illinois is recognized by the Board of Elections or the Secretary of State, whatever you want to call it, they are, you know, they have ballot status, they have a ballot line, and Cook County just was just refusing to give Green Party ballots to Greens. And so whoa, whoa. you had people who were running for office who couldn't even vote for themselves, so uh, Jeffrey Cubbage is the um, uh, is the Green Party uh, National Committee representative from Illinois who I was I was tracking on Facebook, and uh, maybe we can bring him on in in a future week to talk about what should, happened Michael. there. I think we should, and, and uh, I confess that I was not uh, tracking that. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on, so I'm so glad that you were, and I do think that we should. Uh, uh, we should either do a full program with Jeffrey or at the very least actually uh, get this information out because I consider myself a pretty educated person who's who follows such things. And I didn't know that that happened. So uh, I, that's that's actually shocking, because, as you say, I know for a fact the Green Party of Illinois is a ballot qualified party. I know for a fact that there were Greens running in Cook County, uh, which is by far the largest county uh, by population. Uh, and influence in the entire state of Illinois. And if they were literally refusing Green Party ballots, it means Greens were disenfranchised illegally. 
which is wow. I mean, you know, I'm reminded, Michael, uh, of the great political commentator and philosopher Lily Tomlin, who famously said, no matter how cynical I get, it's hard to keep up with these bastards. And that's literally how I feel about the corporatist Democratic Republican Party, what Michael O'Neill so acutely and accurately calls the capitalist parties. You know, uh, at the end of the day, I know this. We need an independent party that is going to actually represent environmentalists of color, uh, of women, at the, unless and until we're able to come together and build our own party, they will keep us in this downward spiral. I want to thank executive producer Michael O'Neill for keeping this program going and for his insightful comments on this program. I want to thank you, the viewer listener, for participating. And once again, a reminder to you the importance of going to a greenwayforward.org. Sign up so that you will continue to get announcements. Uh, we'll come back with guests. Uh, maybe Jeffrey Coverage, uh, maybe Rodolfo Cortez, maybe somebody else, but I think it's about time that we bring back a guest. Uh, but we, the most importantly, we want to make sure that we're continuing to build our own audience, that we're building our own institutions, our own infrastructure, so that we, the people, can actually not only demand, but create the peaceful, just, democratic an ecologically sustainable world that we so desperately need and so richly deserve. Thanks for watching and listening to A Green Way Forward. Keep on keeping on. Peace. A Green Way Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription, plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive. <laughs>